Welcome back everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Tuesday. So much to discuss as always, so let's dive in. The January 6th Select Committee in the House has formally uh, sent criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. We talked at the beginning of yesterday's show about the expectation that this was going to happen and now it actually has, which is important and fascinating. Take a look here from NBC News and then we'll look at this occurring in the House. The House January 6th committee voted Monday to recommend that the uh, Justice Department pursue a batch of criminal charges against former President Donald Trump for his role in an effort to overturn the 2020 election and the fomenting of a deadly mob at the Capitol. Trump was the first president in American history to be impeached twice. Now he is also the first president to be formally referred by Congress for potential prosecution. The committee's final meeting was the culmination of a sweeping 17-month uh, congressional investigation that included more than 100 subpoenas, interviews with more than 1,200 witnesses, and the collection of hundreds of thousands of documents. And later in this article, it notes that John Eastman, the lawyer who helped Trump come up with the idea of having fake electors and getting Mike Pence to recognize those instead of the actual ones, and the coup attempt they were uh, planning. John Eastman was central to that and very dangerous ideas uh, he floated. Here's this occurring uh, yesterday during this public hearing. I now recognize the young woman from Virginia, Ms. Luria, for a motion. Mr. Chairman, I move that the committee favorably report to the House the Select Committee's final report, which includes the committee's legislative recommendations and criminal referrals of Donald J. Trump and others, pursuant to Section 4A of House Resolution 503. The question is on the motion to favorably report to the House. Those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, no. In the opinion of the chair, the ayes have it. Mr. Chairman, I request a courted vote. And then it continues, but big moment. This will be marked in history and hopefully the evidence and also this move will assist in the DOJ's independent investigation. I'll repeat again, this is not obligating the DOJ to do anything. It's just saying we've been doing an investigation and based on the evidence we've gathered, we think charges, we think crimes were committed and charges would be justified. And so here as the entity being the DOJ that actually can do that, here's the evidence we have, do with it what you uh, wish. So very important stuff. And final clip I want to show you in regard to this is Jamie Raskin, who's on the committee responding to this news on MSNBC. Uh, you and the others on the committee with uh, legal expertise, um, how confident are you that the evidence is enough to inspire the DOJ to act? Very confident. We only stated charges where we thought that the evidence was abundant or overwhelming. And we believe that the prosecutors could satisfy easily every element of each of those offenses. And it makes uh, intuitive common sense as well. Interference with a federal proceeding was Donald Trump's entire purpose and plan. Stop the steal meant going in and obstructing our count of the electoral college vote. Uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States sums up exactly what he wanted to do, which was to exchange a real presidential election with a fake one. They filed all kinds of counterfeit uh, electoral college certificates. Uh, 
which is filing a false statement. And of yeah. course, he uh, worked to incite an erection. To, <laughs> uh, to, uh, that one got me so much when I initially saw this clip. Um, in, incite an erection. <laughs> is that what he said? He said incite an erection, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you missed it? Okay, yeah. Incite an erection. Here, I'll put it back so you can hear that one more time. False statement. And, of yeah. course, he uh, worked to incite an erection, to, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. to assist an insurrection, uh, and uh, to uh, give aid and comfort to an insurrection. Okay. Uh, you so, <laughs> setting the erection aside, <laughs> good analysis there by Jamie Raskin, and hopefully the DOJ has everything it needs now to make those charges happen. Even just what we've seen through these hearings makes it clear that Trump has committed crimes. Now, I'm not a legal expert, so we'll let them take care of that. But that's uh, my perspective seems to be definitely the committee's perspective, as well as uh, legal experts that I have heard uh, their analysis. And so it must be noted that history, if this doesn't go the way that I think it should, will look back on this very poorly if Trump is not held accountable properly because you can't be the president of the United States and attempt to stay in power and then because of the lies that you were telling to do that you get a mob to attack the Capitol and kill politicians and all of these different things that can't go and kind of just happen and then we move on from it and he's not held accountable that's not how a country that has law and order as they talk so much about on the right Acts. And so we will see how the DOJ ends up proceeding. And it all is very fascinating to watch. Donald Trump responded to the news that the January 6th Select Committee is criminally referring him to the DOJ, as well as his lawyer, John Eastman. And uh, they did a multiple things, but the headline being that Trump has been criminally referred. And he was very unhappy, very, very unhappy on True Social. And I'll show you guys those messages he sent out. As we talked about yesterday with a different kind of thing, one of his recent explosions on social media was when he starts getting like this, frantically putting out messages, screaming at everyone for events like this that are trying to hold him accountable, I think it's a sign that he's actually panicked and worried that he is indeed going to be held accountable. So here's the first message uh, Mediate is highlighting this for us. The fake charges made by the highly partisan unselect committee of January 6th have already been submitted, prosecuted, and tried in the form of impeachment hoax number two. I won convincingly. Double jeopardy anyone? Double jeopardy anyone, but he, explanation mark, not a question mark. So, um, I guess that he's trying to say this is the same as when somebody is, goes to trial for a set of charges and then is proven to be innocent or decided to be innocent by the jury or whatever it might be. And then after that gets recharged and retried for the same crime, that can't happen, but doesn't connect at all to what he's saying there, which is just, okay, they impeached you for something, which is a completely separate, separate process, separate entity than the DOJ investigating you and possibly charging you for these crimes. So I don't know what he's talking about there. Next message. The people understand that the Democratic Bureau of Investigation, the DBI, he's very clever, are out to keep me from running for president because they know I'll win and that this whole business of prosecuting me is just like impeachment was, a partisan attempt to sideline me and the Republican Party. And that's the line that we hear so often, and we'll look at the last message in a second here, but 
so often people in his camp or him um, himself say, ah, oh, this is trying to influence the election and it's going to have an impact on the election. This is all political. But you want to have to be getting investigated and having that play a role in people's perception of you while you run for president. If you hadn't acted in all the ways when you were president that you did, if you hadn't tried to stay in power when you lost, you could be running and wouldn't have any of these issues. But you did certain things and now you're being held accountable for them. That's not some horrible political thing. That's just you experiencing what should be the way that all wealthy uh, and powerful people get treated by our justice system. It's not, but at least this time, it seems to be the case that it's working a little bit, but we'll see if it actually goes all the way to the end. Last message. Statement on January 6th committee referral. These folks don't get it that when they come after me, people who love uh, freedom rally around me. It strengthens me. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. What doesn't kill me makes... Americans know that I pushed for... Sorry, had to. That, <laughs> mm, that song's so good. Uh, that I pushed for 20,000 troops to prevent violence on January 6th. He did not do that. And that I went on television and told everyone to go home. So... The 20,000 troops thing is a claim he keeps making without evidence. And then he waited hours while the capitals were being attacked before he asked people to go home. But the part that's very scary with this message is him saying, when they come after me, people who love freedom rally around me. That's him threatening that if the Justice Department holds him accountable for these possible crimes, the followers who love him so dearly will act poorly. And we saw what acting poorly for the MAGA crew looks like in trying to protect Trump on January 6th. And so I hate the idea that now he's just openly saying, people who love me will rally around me and be very, he didn't use this wording, but the essence, they're gonna be upset if you hold me accountable. And he said things like that in the past. And in my mind, that could turn very bad very fast. So there it is. Trump very nervous about all of this and uh, raging on Truth Social. Follow me on Twitter. Let me know what you think of all, all this. Uh, Luke P. Beasley. Interesting op-ed I came across uh, by the New York Times. Let's see here. Tyler Norris and Justin Gillis were the authors. And they're breaking down one part of a larger discussion that has to be had about moving forward our infrastructure and investing in the proper places to be ready for a more green world, a more green powered energy world. And so what they focus in on is how power lines in much of the United States aren't, uh, or in certain areas in the United States, aren't up to the standard that would be able to handle the green energy that we want to be producing. And so if we could invest better in a lot of these projects that we even have the technology now for, and in theory, we have the capability to make happen, but logistically, we're just not doing it, then we could much more rapidly bring ourselves to a more uh, green world. And again, I say world because this is a problem he's talking about within the context of the United States, but is being experienced worldwide. So here's, here's this article, really interesting. We'll throw it in the description. Um, but just to get into some parts of it, he sets it up by talking about um, a particular part 
of the United States, Carolina Sandhills, and then I'll start here. But the farmers and the solar developers who are looking to cut deals with them are stuck. The power lines running through the Sandhills region and a larger area of the Carolinas surrounding it are too small and antiquated to move solar power to the booming cities and factories where it is needed. So you have this power, but the power lines aren't um, properly, again, I say up to the standard to handle the uh, solar power and wind power. The situation is a microcosm of a larger and growing problem. Huge backlogs of renewable energy projects have built up around the world as developers are refused permission to pump their power into the grid. The projects go on waiting lists that can now stretch for years, and many ultimately drop off when the delays become intolerable. In the United States, enough, listen to this, enough renewable energy projects are backlogged right now to achieve a largely clean electric grid by 2030. But without urgent action, most are unlikely to get built. So we have the ability to be powering our lives and economy through green energy, but logistically we're not making it happen because we're not focusing it enough um, or on it enough and investing enough in it which I think we have the awareness of, but breaking down a specific example of this because of the power lines in these regions is fascinating. Continuing, you may have heard about the need for huge continent-spanning power lines operating at 500,000 volts or higher that can carry enormous amounts of renewable energy from one region of North America to another. another. That need is real and likely to become acute by the 2030s, but it is not what we are talking about here. Instead, we're talking about the smaller, more local power lines running through state designated transmission corridors. These lines, which you see strung alongside interstates and highways across America, generally transmit power at 115,000 uh, to 230,000 volts. So it's just diving into the specifics of these power lines can't handle the amount that they would have to to hold up the green energy that would be transmitted. And so um, or, or to hold up the amount of energy that these green technologies would be attempting to uh, transport. And so if we could today replace all those power lines and invest in more advanced ones, then today we could be getting so much more green energy and that would be a good thing for the country, for the environment and for our economy. And so we just have to be thinking about this and pushing for this. And I know many of you guys do care about this. The Inflation Reduction Act was a really great step in that direction. The largest investment in these types of things, climate change related um, endeavors in American history. But there's so much to be done. And it might seem like, oh, it's a lot of money or it's difficult to figure out the logistics. But if our government could take it seriously, then we could be on the you know, the leader in the world of these green energy projects. And uh, that would really benefit us. Last part I want to read from this. The problem is relatively easy to fix. The public rarely objects when old electric cables are swapped out for new ones along existing corridors, but the new technology does require investment. And that is the nub of the issues. Uh, the, the issue, electrical utilities have been caught flat-footed by the falling costs and rapid growth of renewable energy. They simply failed to get ahead of the wave and upgrade their wires, and the state governments that oversee the power business neglected to hold them accountable. The reason I read that is because this is the perfect, as they called it, the microcosm of the macrocosm that is what's keeping us from getting to where we want to go with green energy. And so right there, 
the core of the problem right now, as they outlined, is proper investment. And it wouldn't be that hard to fix this problem, but we aren't focusing it, um, focusing in on it enough. And then also our leaders know that it would be, I guess, politically difficult to make happen. But later on, we would be so grateful to our past selves as a country if we did give this the attention that it deserves. This is so fun to watch. Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene are clashing. It's the clash of the titans with Marjorie Greene and Lauren Boebert, who are supposed to be on each other's side. They're both these radical congresswomen who were seen together screaming at Biden during the State of the Union and have similar views. But now they are splitting up very angry with one another. Let me show you where this came from. And then we'll look at Marjorie Taylor Greene's response to Lauren Boebert at this America Fest event. And she was getting interviewed by Charlie Kirk, kind of not on stage, but within this context. And whenever the issue of Kevin McCarthy for speaker came up, Lauren Boebert took a little jab and said, listen, I don't believe in everything that Marjorie Taylor Greene believes in. Like, I don't believe in the Jewish space lasers. Of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene at one point had an issue with that wacky belief. And so that, that's a low blow from the perspective of MTG. And we'll get to her response, as I said, in a second here. But here's this moment at America Fest. Someone who we all respect, Marjorie Taylor Greene, says Kevin McCarthy is going to be a great speaker. I guess you'll have to ask Marjorie about that. I'm, I'm a fan of hers, I'm an admirer, but it's not something we see the same way. Lauren? Uh, well, you know, I, I've been um, aligned with Marjorie and accused of believing a lot of the things that she believes in. I don't believe in this, just like um, I don't believe in Russian space so lasers. Are, are, are you a hard no? Space lasers <laughs> okay. and all of this. No, I, I'm just saying, we, we need to actually have an inside conversation okay. and, and, and make sure that these promises are there. Someone who we... Wow. So... I, more than anyone, am perfectly great with you making fun of or calling out the absurdity of Marjorie Taylor Greene and her beliefs, specifically that one also. But what's funny is now Lauren Boebert has the bravery to speak out against Marjorie Taylor Greene's crazy beliefs now that she doesn't agree with her on the issue of Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker. And if you missed that whole story, Kevin McCarthy, because he's the leader of the Republicans in the House, is wanting to become speaker of the House whenever the Republicans take over in January. And there's a set of, not that many, five, I think, um, or maybe a little bit more of the House Freedom Caucus members who are kind of the most radical Republicans who are saying, Kevin McCarthy's not good enough, we want someone different. My wording is they want someone more radical than Kevin McCarthy to be speaker. And so they're standing against, but you would think Marjorie Greene, and just keep holding, we're going to get to Marjorie Greene's response in a second here, but um, you would think she would be on board. Matt Gates is not wanting Kevin McCarthy, Lauren Boebert's not. Marjorie Greene usually would fall into that category of um, the House Freedom Caucus, but in this situation has decided to support Kevin McCarthy. So that's where the, the beef is coming in and uh, the context of that conversation. So then... MTG took to Twitter and said, I've supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. President Trump has supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. Kevin McCarthy has supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. She just barely came through by 500 votes, which is true. She did lose, uh, win by just a tiny little amount. 
I don't know specifically if it was 500 votes, but very small margin there. And then she continues. She gladly takes our money, but when she's been asked, Lauren refuses to endorse President Trump. She refuses to support Kevin McCarthy, and she childishly threw me under the bus for a cheap soundbite. The country is facing extremely difficult times. Americans expect conservative fighters like us to work together to save America, and that is the only mission I'm 100% devoted to, not high school drama and media soundbites. So it is beautifully and painfully ironic to hear Marjorie Green asking someone else to not do childish high school drama when that's literally her entire brand. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it, it's so fun to watch people who, it, it's kind of like we have to deal with their crazy beliefs every day and we have to be aggravated by them so finally it's nice to watch them being aggravated with each other and having to deal with each other in that enraging way now to the specifics of what she was calling lauren bobert out for apparently she trump and ken mccarthy all helped fund lauren bobert's campaign and so she's saying you're not being loyal and you're not giving support back in return through your rhetoric and that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene is upset with. Then she gets to the point of Trump and the fact that Lauren Boebert, as we showed on the show, got a little weird when it came to the issue of Trump versus DeSantis for a moment there and said, I don't know, Trump's good, but DeSantis is also America's governor. And then she kind of seemed to flip back around and say, um, actually, Trump's my guy. And so one of the hallmarks of a cult like this is competing for who's more loyal to the Trump leader, uh, to the Trump leader, <laughs> the, <laughs> the cult leader being Trump. And in this situation, MTG is trying to use the fact that Lauren Boebert isn't as loyal as she is to Donald Trump to drive a wedge in between uh, Boebert and Trump and pull away some of Boebert's followers because she's very aggravated that in this situation, Lauren Boebert was correct. Marjorie Greene does believe some wacky stuff like the Jewish space lasers. Speaking of Lauren Boebert, she spoke at this America Fest event that Turning Point USA put on, and we looked at some clips yesterday, and we have more today. And she was off of her rocker, as is common with um, Lauren Boebert. But this time, she zeroed in on the clip I'm gonna show you, Joe Biden, and the fact that he needs to be charged and locked up. For what? I don't know. Is there a crime you're alleging? I don't know. But lock them up first, figure out what the crime was later, I guess, is the thinking on the part of Lauren Boebert. Um, but here's this moment. If there was corruption, and I believe there very much was corruption, it will not just be Hunter Biden under federal investigation. It'll be Joe Biden under federal investigation. And finally, so of course the crowd is chanting one of the favorite chants within the MAGA crew, lock him up, or it used to be lock her up with Hillary, lock Fauci up, they'll say that too. Multiple times at this conference, people said, prosecute Fauci. Again, for what? I don't know, but vaguely they'll 
uh, you know, nod their head towards corruption, as she said there. Okay. We're, we're not using those invisible handcuffs, right? We get to put the real cuffs on him. So, fantasizing about putting cuffs on Biden again. Not sure what the crime is there, but we just, oh, ah, I hate the idea of Trump getting locked up, that they would say, obviously. And uh, so to make it even, let's just start charging all the Democrats too with stuff. The difference is Trump actually likely did commit crimes. And I can lay out why I believe that with Biden, I never get a coherent answer for what the possible crime would have been. Then, very energetic here, seems to be kind of an, 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 uh, an ending, and I couldn't bear to watch the entire thing, so these are just clips that were floating around, but chanting or, or cheering about the idea of taking the country back. I don't know where it went, I don't know why they believe it was lost from them, but it needs to be taken back. And we're going to make y'all proud. We're going to make America proud. We are going to weed out the deep state, and that includes the sorry Department of Injustice. We are going to take our country back. We will not relent. We will not retreat. We are moving forward, forward from a place of victory, and we are going to put America first. God bless you. Ooh. So we just want to give you health care, Lauren. I don't know what the rage is all about. And you don't need to take your country back. It's still all of our country. We just have differences of views. I happen to think there's lots of good um, solutions to problems. Not exactly clear on which solutions you're putting forward to problems except for lock them up. I don't know. Um, but I mean, that's what's going on. It, it was fascinating to see all of these different moments from this event because you really don't get much substance out of these types of conferences. And I really don't get a chance to hear anything policy-wise that they would care about or push for beyond vague gestures towards, I don't know, investigating people. Um, that's a huge thing right now. We're vaguely talking about the vaccine and stuff that should have been done differently with that or whatever it might be is not even close to a real policy discussion that I could go and engage with in any meaningful way. Kevin McCarthy is continuing to be pretty panicked, I think, about the possibility that he won't take over as Speaker of the House. And the context for this is that the House Freedom Caucus, who are kind of the most radical members of the Republican Party, are saying, we won't support Kevin McCarthy, we don't like him for Speaker. But there's not really another person that's risen up, right, to be a replacement for Kevin McCarthy. So all they're committing to is blocking Kevin McCarthy from becoming Speaker. And it's freaking Kevin McCarthy out, I think, because he has worked for so long to try to become Speaker and now it's all in jeopardy, which is fun from my perspective to watch. But here's one of the moments of him going on uh, Maria Bartiromo's show and 
calling out the House Freedom Caucus. Why are your Republican colleagues in the Senate going along with Democrats once again, which they've done all year with a ton of other spending packages? You know one of the most saddest things they say back to me is because the chaos of these five individuals, they don't think we can get something done over here, so they're going to agree with Democrats now. That is how bad the situation is. That is that what is, is causing the problem. It is. Why are you so very aggravated in regard to the uh, spending bill negotiations going on? But he's an enemy of them now, so they're kind of doing everything to go against him. And then him going on Hugh Hewitt's program and discussing this. You only have so many months to really get out there and govern, and you want to hit the ground running. Every day you lose, if you lose a quarter, you don't start strong. So you don't get new, stronger candidates. You don't get more resources to be able to supply those candidates to get the message out. And uh, people look at us and believe, are you ready to be the majority if this is what's happening? How can you pass the big bills? How can you, can you change the course of history? How can you secure the border? How you can become energy independent? How you can pass a parent's bill of rights? It's all in jeopardy. It's all in jeopardy, and I hope Leader McCarthy, soon to be Speaker McCarthy, the five in the knucklehead caucus, get the message. Hmm. So, just as a quick side note, whenever he talks about the House representatives securing the border, making America energy independent, and doing all those things, how he imagines that happening when the Senate is going to be Democratic and the White House will be Democratic, I don't really know. But I guess he has to pretend like they could do something. And that's the framing I think he's going to go with, which to me is probably the most effective one of talk about issues that your voters care about and say, don't frame it as I'm not going to become speaker. Frame it as the Democrats could end up getting the speakership. Because we talked about if on the day of the vote, the House Freedom Caucus does stand against uh, Kevin McCarthy's speakership, then you could see a situation if it went correctly where the Democratic Party gets to choose the speaker, which is absolutely incredible and would be wild to watch. So we'll, we'll see if the radical individuals in Congress who are doing this, which I like that they're doing it, even though on almost everything we disagree, um, if they stand by this commitment and actually block Trump's, uh, Trump's Kevin McCarthy's rise to being speaker, Next thing that we're going to talk about, which is why I had Trump in my mind, is the fact that Trump is trying to get his followers and people who are loyal to him to stand by Kevin McCarthy, which is an interesting angle. Uh, CNN reports Donald Trump has weighed in on uh, weighed in on the contentious battle confronting GOP leader Kevin McCarthy in his bid to be the chamber's next speaker, with the former president calling on his supporters in Congress to halt their opposition tactics against McCarthy and stop playing a very dangerous game. So Trump weighing in and calling on uh, people who are loyal to him, which does make up the House Freedom Caucus pretty significantly to stop doing what they're doing and support Kevin McCarthy. So we'll see how it all plays out. Hopefully it'll stay this messy. Very interesting report out of the New York Times. So George Santos is a congressman elect. He was elected um, into Congress, but he hasn't yet obviously gone in, in January, he will. And much of what he ran on, much of his resume that he put forward as a reason why he would be a good candidate seems to be completely fabricated and false. It is so interesting 
Again, it's George Santos. Um, take a look at this, and we'll watch a, a report on this actually breaking down. We won't read through this article ourselves, but we'll put this in the description, just extensively walking through all the different aspects of this, how his career resume that he put forward doesn't seem to be accurate, um, charity stuff, just so many layers. And if you may have heard about George Santos, he's openly gay, which is not common within the Republican Party, and he got elected. And um, so I was already kind of aware of him and preparing a story about him, and then this all broke, and it's just completely wild. So take a look at this being reported on um, here. A report from the New York Times suggests Congressman-elect George Santos may have lied about major events in his life. The Long Island Republicans' win in a blue district helped give the GOP control of the House. But CBS 2's Carolyn Gussoff shows us there are growing calls for him to resign even before he's sworn in. 34-year-old George Santos turned a blue district red to represent Nassau's North Shore and parts of Queens by campaigning as a seasoned financier. But this New York Times investigative story calls into question key parts of the resume he sold to voters. Employers and alma mater Santos listed have no record of him, including Citigroup and Goldman Sachs, Baruch College and NYU. Other parts of his resume may be largely fiction, a purported nonprofit animal rescue, claims he lost employees at the Pulse nightclub shooting. The Times review of public documents and court filings found criminal charges for check fraud in Brazil, eviction cases against him, and raised campaign finance questions. This is not about resume padding. This is allegations about the fact he lied on his house, on his house ethics forms, allegations about him lying about his personal finances, where his money came from for his campaign. And what's most troubling is George Santos' refusal to answer any questions about this at all. During the campaign, Robert Zimmerman, his Democratic opponent, had called out inconsistencies. We'll stop it there. But again, if you want to look at all the details, you can do it. It would just take me too long to read through that with you guys. Um, but I read through it, and as it highlighted there, he proclaimed to have done all this stuff, Goldman Sachs was one of the places, and then they were reached out to. No record of him working there. Things about his charity. Um, don't seem to be accurate. Possible criminal stuff having gone on that wasn't made aware. And just thing after thing after thing. And what's fascinating is this has happened from time to time with candidates like this. And it always shocks me. Madison Cawthorn was one of these individuals who lied about his past in numerous ways. And to me, if you're trying to become someone very prominent, right? You want to get into a position of power. A lot of eyeballs will be on you. Don't you know that eventually this is going to get uncovered? And so then I guess the calculation is, okay, this will help me get into power. I'll get people to support me and become loyal. Then this will get uncovered at some point and I'll already have the power and I'll already have the support. So it won't matter. And that worked for Madison Cawthorn. I mean, he ended up losing his re-election bid, but why would you lie about your resume in such significant ways that can be verified like this? It's so, so strange. And to me, I don't think I would even feel like I would have a hard time living with myself knowing 
that I'm staring a bunch of people in the eyes and saying, I would be good at serving you, which is not how a lot of these individuals think about public office, but it should. I would be good serving your interests because look at all these things in my life that make me qualified. And knowing that those are lies and knowing that I've just fabricated those, I would feel so icky and so bad inside for that. And so watching these stories get uncovered shocks me every single time because again, it's not the first time that people have lied about their past to try to get into a position of power. So we'll continue to watch how this goes and see um, if he has a genuine argument for why this reporting is not accurate. Media Matters has designated Tucker Carlson as the misinformer of the year. I agree with that assessment and they put together a video that was just incredible. We'll show it to you. What they do so well is show clip after clip after clip of Tucker Carlson saying things that are just completely either false or misrepresented. And then as he sang them, sorry for our podcast listeners, I would encourage you to go over to the YouTube channel and find this clip at some point because on screen, as he's saying stuff, they're throwing up headlines that are disproving what he's saying. It's such a great video and just shows you how dishonest Tucker Carlson is. Take a look at this. Great job, Media Matters. And the distinction between misinformation and lying is that misinformation can be true. Not a single person in the crowd on January 6th was found to be carrying a firearm. Not one. And the only insurrection in So again, I say for our podcast listeners, definitely go check it out video version so you can see this, but no, obviously I can't take too long if I pause it every single time he says something false because it's all false statements, but um, incredible still. History with no guns, an insurrection that wasn't armed, wasn't planned, and didn't actually insurrect anything. Why are they calling it insurrection? Is it possible that the vaccine actually can hurt you? People who take it are more likely to die of COVID. People who get the booster are more likely to get the latest variant. Inject your children with a drug with no actual benefits. The trans thing seems pretty new. Now, gender-affirming care is a euphemism for chemical castration, radical plastic surgery, and other treatments for gender dysphoria. At Boston Children's Hospital, they're cutting the breasts off of healthy children. So Boston Children's Hospital is now playing the victim here. Anyone who criticizes this is a threat and a danger. <laughs> No one really believes in global warming. The IRS has its own army. Where are all these racial acts of terror committed by white supremacists? Joe Biden's latest idea is to pay black people to smoke more crap. Watergate, which no one can still explain even to this day. Got that, you degraded freaks? So one of the things that's so difficult about covering these individuals is two things. Number one, they make so many false claims so quickly that just taking the time to explain why everything's wrong is sometimes difficult, but also they make so many statements that are uh, contextualized by information that I have no clue where it came from because it's just so conspiratorial. And so they'll say, well, did you hear that blah, blah, blah is happening? And I'm like, well, no. Okay, well, that's, then that's why you don't believe this. And that's why you don't believe this. And, this is, and it all interconnects. And when I go down those rabbit holes, I can oh, slowly find where these different claims are coming from and explain to people why they're false, but it takes time and it takes effort. And so it can be difficult and it's definitely time consuming. We try to do it on this show as much as possible, specifically with, uh, with Tucker Carlson for sure. But I love what they did there. I have another video for you that is showing even more of his wild claims. 
um, this one, when it was posted on Twitter, is captioned, it can be hard to wrap your head around how deranged Tucker Carlson can be, but I gave it my best shot. Here's a taste of the alternate reality Tucker Carlson created for his viewers in 2022 in less than 60 seconds. So we'll watch that. It's so good as well. But to wrap up um, this last one, I think it's important that not only do we point out the claims and point out how absurd they are, but recognize how dangerous and how this matters because Tucker Carlson is the most watched cable news host. He is the most watched cable news host. He has millions of people tuning in every single night. And if they could only in real time be having those headlines pop up next to his face and fact checking him, because it's almost shocking and impressive to me how confidently he can look in the camera and say things that are so easy to disprove oftentimes. And it scares me that so many people live in that world where they believe he's being honest. So I love again how this is being framed. This next video I'm going to show you. This is the alternate reality that you would get if you tune into Tucker Carlson. Take a look. All these nations preparing for World War Trans, they would like to see World War Trans. Men will not be able to have children in, say, another 50 years. If it steals your sex drive, maybe it's stealing your soul. No one really believes in global warming. Misinformation can be true. Any American who disapproves of Joe Biden's performance is a terrorist. You're a terrorist. You're a stochastic terrorist. You are guilty of stochastic terrorism. What a terrorist. You're a dangerous stochastic. That's awesome. You're a racist. You're a racist. You're a racist. You're a racist if you notice. Because you're a racist. This is a jihad. And they're coming for you. There is a strong political component to the Democratic Party's immigration policy. We're not guessing this. It's their electoral strategy. These are not the people you would import if you cared about your country. Graffiti artists, armed robbers, and subway rapists, they will change the electorate. Race war, that's what the collapse of civilization looks like. Oh, you're trafficking in misinformation. You're a conspiracy nut. You're a racist. Yeah, okay. Got that, you degraded freaks? All these nations. This is some similar uh, crossover clips there, but it's funny because I cover a lot of those clips and then seeing them back to back is like, what? I can't even process that that's going on. And uh, it very much is. So there it is. Tucker Carlson, indeed, as Media Matters says, is the misinformer of the year. And it is sometimes just silly almost to watch until you realize how dangerous it is. And that very much scares me. I'm on Twitter, Luke P. Beasley. There is quite the situation going on uh, in regard to the border right now. But first, we'll dive into that. But first, I want to look at Greg Abbott getting confronted in a very good and accurate way. Um, by, you'll see here, Martha, let's see, Martha Raditz. And she makes the point in this interview that on ABC, Greg, you're the one who keeps telling everyone the border's open, not Joe Biden. And I actually, as much as I talk about these issues, never thought of it from the perspective of if you're a Republican and you hate the idea of more immigration and you're blaming biden saying that because he's so much easier on immigrants and i guess not stripping the uh families apart like was happening previously because beyond that there's just not that many policy differences between the border um kind of 2019 to 2022 almost 2023 and they pretend like something huge changed when it didn't but if that's your belief, then why would it be good to lie and tell the world that the border is open? 
because the border is not open. Again, the policies have not changed significantly. It is good that kids aren't being torn away from their family. That's very good. But you're the one, as you'll see him, uh, Greg Abbott being confronted with this in a second here, being uh, dishonest and telling the world that the border is open. So maybe you're the one causing more immigration, which is very interesting to think about it that way. Take a look. You talk about the border wall, you talk about open borders. I don't think I've ever heard President Biden say, we have an open border, come on over. But people I have heard say it are you, our former President Trump, or Ron DeSantis. I don't know why they did this interview in the um, eye of a hurricane, but it is quite windy. It's not raining, obviously, I'm just saying the wind. That message reverberate and yes i get that the eye of the hurricane is the most peaceful part of the hurricane <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> in mexico and beyond so they do get the message that it is an open border and smugglers use all those kinds of statements it was it was known for the time that joe biden got elected that joe biden supported open borders uh, it is known uh, by the cartels who have sophisticated information whether or not the Biden administration is going to enforce the immigration laws or not is known across the world, but most importantly, known among the cartels. And how do you play into that? What can you do better? Uh, so we have every level of government. Okay. So it's a great point. Biden, he says he supports open borders. It's just not true. You're just lying. It enrages me so much. You know how much you would hate Greg Abbott? Um, do you know how you would hate comma? Greg Abbott, if I constantly was mad at you for things that you didn't support and constantly have to tell people that you don't support, because what do we want? We want a more humane border policy that still has a border, but just is not deeply dehumanizing to the individuals coming across. And then we want a more efficient legal system so we can handle um, the immigration that we're experiencing. And we don't think that every single person has to be turned around right there. That's the stance of many, I think, within the Democratic Party, not, ah, border schmorder, leave it completely open. We want organization, we want that for sure. And so stop arguing against a person that doesn't even exist within the mainstream Democratic uh, party. With all that being said, um, and again, a great point there by the ABC News interviewer saying, if you don't want people immigrating here, then isn't it bad to lie and say, the border's open, you can come across for free, no problem. A um, little weird. Now, right now at the border, kind of the news right now in regard to it is that Title 42, a COVID era policy that allowed um, the Department of Homeland Security to immediately deport people because of the public health concern of people immigrating at the you know during covid times and so now that's being taken away and that's causing a logistical problem right now el paso specifically has had to declare a state of emergency and so within these conversations i think we should be able to talk about these problems recognize that our um, management of the border right now is not where it should be because it's not invested in enough, because we don't have the proper legal process in place without fear-mongering about immigration. Because I think we could handle so much more immigration. It wouldn't cause the challenges that we're seeing occur in El Paso, for example, if we had a more efficient, properly funded, properly managed, 
and cared about with the center uh, being humane, then we could handle it so much better. But instead, they don't want to do that. They don't want to create that process because their chief concern, their most uh, important concern with all of this is just fear-mongering about immigrants and about immigration. But at this moment, Title 42 was about to get uh, rescinded and Chief Justice John Roberts has frozen that for the moment. So Title 42 will stay in place while this is all going down, as you'll see being reported here. Siding with the Republican-led states here, it's possible that they might grant this emergency application, effectively putting Title 42, the end of it, on pause for quite some time. So the Republican-led states could end up having a significant victory here because the Supreme Court could be poised to step in, maybe take up this emergency appeal, kick the can down the road so Title 42 stays in place more than just this week, maybe more than just this month into next year. It appears that the Supreme Court could potentially side with the Republican-led states as they sort of have done in this interim order here, Jake. So they've temporarily frozen um, the taking away of Title 42, and there are indivi individuals within the Republican Party trying to keep Title 42 as long as possible. But I think if you recognize, while again this is causing a logistical challenge right now, if you recognize that that policy title 42 was for the pandemic was in response to the pandemic and you're one of the people who says the pandemic is largely no longer that level of a problem then having that policy in place doesn't make a whole lot of sense here's the specific uh, el paso angle of this state of emergency has been declared in el paso as the city braces for a possible surge of migrants the controversial trump air policy title 42 is set to be lifted on wednesday and some local and city officials are asking the national government for help the mayor of el paso said that more than 15,000 migrants have arrived in that city just in the last week and that number is expected to go up once the public health policy lifts our asylum seekers are not safe as we have hundreds and hundreds on the streets and that's not the way we want to treat people. Volunteers are now bringing clothing, food and water. So this does matter and that's why it makes me so mad that all people want to do within a certain part of the Republican Party is fearmonger about migrants and fearmonger about immigration when we need to act on addressing this now like this is something we actually need to address it's not just something you can use as a political tool and the response doesn't have to be ah no don't let anybody ah it doesn't have to be that you can have the humanity of these people in mind and logistically set it up so that we can handle what's occurring and not put too much of the weight on one area like is happening in el paso where just too much is happening um, in regard to all of this that's on the shoulders of El Paso and other areas as well. More, I think that's why they're calling in the federal government, more has to be done to carry the weight of a surge or whatever it might be, which again, don't have to respond to that the way that many do within the Republican Party and the conservative movement. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. We'll see you tomorrow.